0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 413, Best Board Game Sequels. we like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, friends, we're back, and we're back with the best, the best board game sequels. Wait a minute. Board games have sequels? Apparently. Oh,
1: yeah no, it's crazy it's it's really we're actually reviewing one today <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know it's I would say it's a recent thing, but I don't think it is like when I was putting the list together, there's quite a few that have come out you know five ten, even fifteen years ago. so uh, we're going to talk about them. what I will clarify this because when I ask people, we'll get to the question a week later. When I ask people for their favorites, a lot of them were like second edition, third edition type of stuff. Sure. But we're not considering those sequels. We're considering those revisions.
0: Yes. Um, so we want like revenges, striking backs. We want those kind of.
1: Yeah. So basically games that take the same mechanics or core idea and re-implement them in a new. way. Yeah. Right? So not just taking like Twilight Imperium and filing off all the edges and streamlining it because it's been 10 years, um, which is cool. If that if that counted, it would be number one but actually, you know, giving us a new game that's doing something different in this, with the same feel.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting concept for board gaming. And I think sometimes, too, that since it's either graphically or name-wise so closely aligned with the original, they could tremendously be overlooked. Yeah, I think it happens a lot. You know, there's a handful of these that I think have
1: surpassed. The original, with sure. one incredibly notable exception that we'll talk about, <laughs> um, which is that that exception is a little borderline in the sequel definition, but it's there. Um, but a few of them have kind of they come and gone, and I don't think they should have come and gone,
0: uh, and, and we'll we'll tell you why. Absolutely. So that will be our feature view, and we'll get into all those kind of excellent, absolutely potential game winning games at the table. But I don't think before we get into all that fun. You know, people at BoardGameGeek, Game Geek—they like to have fun too. I don't know. If,
1: <laughs>
0: I don't know if you saw this, but it seems like we have a new number one.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's it was. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't see it. Because um, everybody was losing their minds. Because apparently, no one has anything important in their lives to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the new number one on BoardGameGeek Game Geek is Brass Birmingham. So, and then it, it wasn't. And then it wasn't. Right now it is. While we're recording, it is.
0: <laughs> but hold, on. Wait, wait until the end of the episode. It might, might not be again. again. Yeah.
1: Um, so this is, it bumped up there at some point last week. And everybody's like, oh my
0: gosh.
1: And then a bunch of Gloomhaven fans came in and did the old give it a one thing. That's, that's rough, man. Which is what you do. That's, and, yeah. Board Game Geek. Based on the algorithm, based on my very rudimentary understanding of how this quote unquote algorithm works, because it's not much of an algorithm. Um, the ones hurt more than the tens help because the average rating on games tends to be in the higher end. So you give it a one and it drops it much further. Sure. Um, And even with them averaging those out, which they do somehow apparently, but on balance, then the, all the brass Birmingham fans came in and they did the same thing. And they gave theirs a 10 and they gave Gloomhaven a one. It's just a whole stupid thing. But right now, brass Birmingham is number one. Um, Gloomhaven is down to number three. Yeah. Probably because all those brass fans gave it a one.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Pandemic Legacy
0: is stuck at number two. Pandemic Legacy stuck in the corner, going, "I want no part of this, bro. I'm just, out. I'm out. I'm, I'm out." out. My hands. <laughs> not my circus. Not my monkeys. I just, I just want to be here on the top of the list. We're fine. It was, it was number one. Pandemic Legacy was <laughs> number, number one.
1: Like a year or two. Like Glutivin yeah. was up there for five years. Yeah. Um, and I was reading an article. I think it was on Kotaku. There's only been, I think. Nine games that have been number one in Board Game Geek's history? Maybe less. It's not very many. Yeah. So when a game gets up there, it tends to stick for a while. It does. It doesn't flop around a lot. So maybe Brass will just be there for a while until Ark Nova gets enough votes. Because it's catching up.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Ark Nova seems to be the only one with that kind of potential. I mean, Dune Imperium will have the new movie coming out. But I don't know if it's... If it has that general broad appeal, it might be a little too niche, mm-hmm. but it's possible. It's surprising. I mean, when Brass Birmingham jumped up there, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Brass is high. Yeah. It's still high, still interesting. Mm-hmm. And then for it to jump to number one, it is it is a little surprising for me. It is. I mean, yeah. it is a very good game. It is in my top 100 games. Yeah, same. And... I guess maybe because I keep thinking of the original brass, like the original, not last language here, like the original brass, which had like two components that were thrown together from like a coffee shop. Like it's a bunch of like really oh, terribly, terrible, ugly. Yeah. terrible, terrible production. Um, but, you know, it it came together. Martin Wallace yeah. obviously knows his stuff and did the revision. And obviously this is the perfect time to talk about, you know, sequels.
1: Yeah, I know. That's, that's the one I was not so... Subtly alluding to. Sorry, Um, sorry. Spoilers.
0: (laughs) Spoilers, people. I'm sorry. I read read that. How dare you? Uh,
1: Uh, Well, there's another sequel in this conversation, right? Frosthaven just shipped everybody.
0: Oh, there's another one. I was spoiling the whole podcast. Yeah,
1: it's still on our list because we haven't played it. Um, oh But (laughs) but Frosthaven, I'm imagining, will be up on this top 10 sometime in the next year or two, and then we'll have the same conversation.
0: I mean, I feel bad. I mean, I get it. We have our allegiances and our loves for the, for the board games. And it's a, it's a, it really is a special moment when they hit number one and they get that kind of recognition. We feel attached to them. Like we would any sports team. Yeah. And then when somebody loses that top slot and Isaac Childress was, you know, incredibly magnanimous, he was like, congratulations and all the things. And, and then everyone else downrated to a one. And again, I,
1: cannot fathom people who do this i mean i
0: appreciate the love I, I think i appreciate the love and i even appreciate the obsession because we have a podcast it's a board yeah. game obsession and i do not like when someone misrepresents the game that i love but at the same time ones are not the way to go like if you don't like the other game rate it appropriately and i think that takes care of itself like and again i, I think the other thing too is It's more important for me as as a consumer, as someone who loves board games, to get the real rating from the gamers than it is to see where something is on a top 100, whether it's like one or two or three or five or 10 difference. Because for a lot of us, when we do these lists, we say all the time, like, this game is number 20, but it could have easily been number 15 or number 25. So I don't, that doesn't kill a game what kills a game is like just inappropriate nonsensical reviews because toxicity. Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to be like, Oh, you know, I'm going to go see brass and I'm just be like, Oh, but it's gotten a lot of bad reviews and what people are saying about it's bad, but they're not saying that because it's bad. They're saying because they want something else to be better, but like, it's not the right time to game a system.
1: No, it's silly. Like I'm looking at the reviews for brass right now and somebody left a review And this this goes both ways, because there's ones on both of these now. But their most recent comment is January 2023, uprated from 6 to 8, because it got better. Sure. And But their rating is a 1. Yeah. So they changed it to a 1, because they're trying to manipulate the algorithm, along with everybody else. But they literally, in their comments, say it's an 8. Yeah. Don't do that. (laughs) We're not children, people. Don't do that. It's silly. Come on.
0: But it's also hard, too, because you want people to play good games so that they they come to the industry, they stay within the industry, they play other games, they explore other options. And if something gets really bad reviews, they may never even touch it. Yeah, And, you know, that's not fair for that game either. Like Brass is not a 10 for me and neither is Gloomhaven. They're high, but they're not 10s for me. So yeah, it's a nine and an eight for me. Yeah.
1: Like they're, bo- they're both in my top, well, Gloomhaven's out of my top 50, but it was in my top 50 and my top 10 for a while. There's a thing I like to tell my son. There you go. Like when we're watching sports, don't root against the team you want to lose. Root for the team you want to win. Because it's just a healthier, more positive way to view the world. And you're more pleasant to be around as a human being when you're rooting (laughs) for someone instead of cursing at the people you want to lose. It's just not healthy. I don't know why this annoys me so much. It drives me crazy. You're a
0: sports fan forever.
1: Yeah. It's just don't do this. But to everybody who got brass up there, it is an amazing game. I love it. Um, I think this is one of those effects of only certain people are gonna play a game like this, because if you're not a type of person who likes brass, you're gonna look at the board, you're gonna look at the at the box and say, I this game's not for me. Yeah. So you're gonna like actively avoid it. Same with Gloomhaven. It's so big and sprawling that if this is not your type of game, you're not even gonna bother playing it. Right? It's rare that someone gets dragged into it. Like I've been dragged into Zaya twice. I (laughs) hate that game. But if I didn't have a podcast or go to conventions, I probably never would have played it because I would look at it. And now I know I don't like that type of game. So I avoid other games that are like that. So I'm not going to give those games ones. I didn't give Zaya one. I think I gave it a four. But I'm not going to give games like that bad reviews because I'm not going to play them. And that's what happens with Brass and Gloomhaven because they're so stratified. Brass is such a hero and Gloomhaven is such a dungeon crawler. that's how they get up so high on the list because they're so very, very good for the people in those niches who like them. Yeah. They're, they're pure. Yeah. Which means the people on the other side can look at the other one and be like, I hate that, but don't say you hate it. Don't rate it. If you haven't played it, that's, that's all I'm asking. (laughs) Like if you play it, you hate it, give it a one. It's fine. But don't. ah, It's ah.
0: hard. It's hard though, because those, those games are opposites ends, you know, of board gaming. So it's interesting to see that, you know, Those would be either would ever be a number one and two no matter where they would be placed like hey kids you want to come over game night we have gloomhaven which is i don't know a couple hundred hours of content (laughs) and and you constant playing the same dungeon crawls hack and slash or brass which is an economic game where you take loans and you play this dark (laughs) industrial age board with people with top hats on there and you try to move iron and coal like Get all your work is drunk. I don't. I. I it's like how what, so different. Yeah. Like if you had to predict, you would never say either of those games would be like there because they don't have a general large appeal. Like no one's bringing Gloomhaven to game night. No. You know, no one's picking that up and just it's it's funny. It's it's a really it's it's an interesting conversation to have. So yeah. But uh, we love your ratings. We love you guys getting in there. Please hit us up. Let us know. Anthony, you have some things to talk about with us as well. What's our next episode coming out on uh, Patreon? Uh, Yeah, so next week we,
1: and we put this up on Patreon for um, a vote. We've been asking people what they want to hear. I'm expanding on the Patreon episode this coming, well, actually this last week that came out. I did an expansion on the collecting and culling episode. So I went through my quote unquote shelf of opportunity and I looked at the games that are there and I talked about, why i'm considering getting rid of them or why i'm considering keeping them despite the fact that i haven't played them in years so kind of just giving more specific examples on that conversation um it's you know we had a pretty lengthy talk on that about four weeks ago I think it's episode 409 uh but it's it's one of those things that like without specific examples it's really hard to say like here's how i make decisions on what to keep and what to get rid of and that's what that is so if you're interested in hearing more of that the bonus episode it is up on patreon now if you back at the producer level or higher you get those bonus episodes there's at least two per month and often there's one every week so um pop in and check that out
0: all right so that's what's going on with us anthony what's going on with our listeners what's our question of the week
1: yeah so i as we do sometimes i asked everybody what how they'd answer the question for our uh, topic this week um and you know what everybody who answered you kind of helped us build the list a little bit because there were a couple I had forgotten. So thank you in advance for that. Thanks everybody. Um, So what's your favorite board game sequel? That's, that's what I, that's what I asked everybody. And again, there were a bunch of people who responded with, you know, the second editions and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like for just for our definition on this particular episode, we're keeping it a little more narrow. That's all. Um, So from the Patreon, let me pull up my list of responses here. Um, Tom said, I would say the best true sequels are Brass Birmingham and Dominant Species Marine. I prefer both to the original games as they are smoother and more intuitive. Um, Though not truly sequels, I really appreciate good game systems. This is Tom talking about other things. Game systems where a new map or minor rules tweaks make for a whole new experience without lots of new rules overhead. For me, the best game system is Age of Steam, 150 different maps, 150 different experiences. Ticket to Ride and Power Grid also are good systems. This was a great response, Tom, because it got me thinking, like, for a future top 10, games with map systems, right? So you've got Power Grid, you've got Ticket to Ride, you've got Age of Steam, Concordia. There's games that just, uh, what's another one? Clinic has a bunch of expand. They're not maps, but just, like, a bunch of modules that change the game up. Um, Just Album VR in general. Tramway is stuff. Power Grid. Power Grid, yeah. Yeah. So there's a bunch of games like that. We might circle back to this and Mm -hmm. maybe talk about, like, our favorite maps for these maps game systems. Um, Maps? But yeah, great response, Tom. Um, Antoine also mentions, you know, agrees with Tom on Dominant Species, Marine, and Brass Birmingham. Also throws in Gaia Project and Roll for the Galaxy. Um, His personal pick is Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. More approachable and didactic, clever rules, small box, and therefore portable. Doesn't feel like a marathon to complete. Uh, So yeah, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion was a tricky one. I don't think it made it to our list because it's kind of in between. Sure, It's like a one point five ish. It's,
0: it's a, I mean, I would say it's it's a point five ish. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's a step back. It's a step back. It's, a, like it's in a good way. Yes, it's not no, not a bad thing, but yeah. like it's certainly like a deconstruction more than it is, you know, right reconstruction. So
1: yeah, yeah, that's a good point. um Drew is the coin system, which Ooh. this is another one of those ones that I looked at. I'm like, does this go on the list? Right? Because we have the first coin games. um I can't remember the first one. It's either Andy and Abyss or Cuba Libre. But, and then every game after that uses a similar, uses that system in a different theme. Are those sequels or are those iterations on a system? I don't know. (laughs) That might be another top 10, like top 10 game systems. Like we talk about flight path and coin and um, stuff like that. But uh, that's a really good answer as well. Um, Some more stuff from Facebook. So again, if you're on Patreon, you can leave comments on these. You are entered into a contest. Nice. Every, every week that we do a question of the week. Some weeks we're not able to. We have special stuff, but the weeks we do, we are giving away stuff. Um, for this episode, we are giving away a dice gift package. Ooh. So, yes. Who's about that? Uh, I know. Uh, so, from Metal Dice Games, they've given us those. Um, so, other ones people have answered Star Wars Imperial Assault, IP update for Descent. That's sure. Another one that's like borderline game system ish, but it's also sequelly because they've made yeah. some changes added to the app. Uh, Empires of the Void 2. Oh, love that's that good. That's a pure sequel. Yeah, big fan <laughs> from Corey. Um, Uriel mentions Azul, stained glass of Sintra. Specifically mentions listening to our recent review, Chris. There of you go, stained glass of Sintra, and saying it's the best version of Azul.
0: I agree. Let's play games there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and then Sebastian mentions it's a wonderful kingdom. So uh, this is the two-player streamlined version of it's a wonderful world. Yeah. So uh, using that engine in an interesting and new way.
0: Very cool. Yeah.
1: So. Um, Our winner this week, uh, and again, lots of great answers, but Tom, thank you so much for writing in because not only did you answer the question in a great way and helped build our list, but you gave an idea for a new episode that we'll probably use in the future.
0: Thanks, Tom. Now I got to do more work. Come on, man. That's not cool. Good job, Tom. (laughs) You did my job for me. I don't have to think of an episode for what we need to get. All right. So that's what's going on with our listeners. Anthony, you were not here last week, so you may have not heard that Board Gamers Anonymous is going to be at Long Island Tabletop what? Gaming Con.
1: I Okay, i got to tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're we're going to kidnap you, drag you over there, stick you in front of a microphone, and make you do a live podcast.
1: Yeah, honestly, that's probably the best way. <laughs> no <laughs> nerves, because then I'm just like, what am I doing? Okay, go. All right, cool. I didn't that's know this right. was coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be at Long Island Tabletop Gaming uh, Expo for 2023. Uh, March 18th to 19th at the Cradle of Aviation, Garden City, New York, Long Island, New York. So uh, if you'd like to check it out, litabletop.com, all of the information is going to be up there. Uh, Our new friend Dave and I talked last week about the con, had a really great conversation. If you haven't listened to that yet, jump back because Dave is fantastic to listen to and a lot of experience and knowledge. We will be doing three presentations over the weekend. On Saturday, our, you know, offshoot, our wonderful opportunity to kind of get board gaming out to more people, board game academics. Uh, We will be doing a presentation on practical applications of tabletop gaming in higher education. So turns out, like we've been talking about board gamers academics That board games are used in like incredibly professional, wonderfully transformative ways. And we have a panel that's going to talk about all the great stuff board gaming does with college students, universities, all around the world. And I think that's going to be amazing. That's Saturday at 3 p.m. In addition to that, Board Game Academics is going to do gaming across the spectrum. Uh, We're going to be working with Geek Therapeutics and Guardians MH, Mental Health, uh, as we discuss how tabletop gaming can help improve your mental health, your relationships, and the community at large. So I know from my field of study, psychology, counseling and advising, and also from my personal experience with gaming, gaming has been a wonderful outlet to explore who I am, connect with other people, and to kind of help mitigate the challenges of life by throwing some cardboard and some dice on a board. And then finally, on Sunday, which is going to be the big one, we will be doing a live podcast at the convention. So it's going to be big. It's going to be huge. There's a huge theater. So we want to see all of you there. Gigantic IMAX screen. So, again, hilarious, gigantic kind of fun stuff. And we're gonna get all our friends together. We're gonna have contests, games, giveaways, things of that nature. And we're we're gonna record an actual episode. So uh, if the audio holds up and we, fingers crossed, you'll hear it, but you really want to experience it. So we really want you to come down and join us for the day. And also we'll be gaming. So if you want to game with us, this is an excellent time.
1: Yeah, somewhere in there between all those shows, we have time, I think. (laughs)
0: It's a working weekend, man. We got to work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, we'll be there Friday night and we'll be there Saturday morning, right? The, yes. The shows don't start till 3. So, yeah, that's
0: happening. Yeah, we'll be doing things. So, come find us, do things. We'll, we'll probably have a booth there. Um, also, again, check out our friends at Geek Therapeutics and Guardians Mental Health. Uh, Guardians Mental Health is a nonprofit organization serving people in need. Uh, Geek Therapeutics does so much great work educating and training professionals so that they could be of service to our community. So two really great organizations and more to come. So stick with us. We'll be talking about Zoom, but it's coming up less than three weeks. All right. So that's everything that's going on with us. Anthony, it's time. Let's bring out our acquisition disorders.
1: All right. So mine this week is something nonsensical. So I'll tell you why in a minute. (laughs) Uh, I don't know why I'm considering. Why are you doing this? That's most of my acquisition disorders this week. So just some background my basement flooded like a month ago, month and a half ago, so i moved all my games out into storage and then i was putting them back the last couple of weeks cuz they finished working. And i have many dozens of games too many, right? So there's a bunch of games just with the space that's available once they were done working. Okay, it's like okay, i got to get rid of some stuff. So i'm i'm trying to develop this new mindset of like is there a place on a shelf for this? Cuz i can't just get the game and find somewhere for it. There're nowhere i'm out of space. So I've reached that point now. If something comes in, I have to something has to go out. So when I look at a game like this, I'm like, oh, I want to get that. I'm like, do I? <laughs> do I really? Um, so this is Huang. This is the reimplementation of Reiner Knizia's Yellow and Yangtze, which is a reimplementation of Tigris and Euphrates. Tigris and Euphrates came out in 1997. Ooh, yeah, this is an oldie. Um, and then Yellow and Yangtze came out in 2018. Yellow and Yangtze was kind of hard to find. Yeah. It's Holy Grail games who unfortunately have, you know, uh, no longer in operation. Yeah, I think it's a nice way to say it. Yeah, so there's a whole thing about that. They fold down go boom. Yeah, it's, no, it's not great. Um, so that game, I think you could only buy it at conventions. Maybe they sold it online too. I don't know, I have it, I bought it at Gen Con. Um, It's not like stupidly expensive online. They made enough copies. Sure. But it was hard enough to find that people were like, they should reprint this again. It's it's a very popular game. So along comes Phalanx. And Phalanx makes generally like two-player war games. So they did the remake of Hannibal and Hamilcar. They did Successors. Beautiful, beautiful versions of these games. Um, They're doing Huang, which uh, is going to be on crowdfunding, I think on GameFound. So this is a... game in which you are it's it's relatively abstract so you're moving these different pieces you have five different leaders um and in huang they're governor soldier farmer trader and artisan right so it takes place in the warring states in china um in the qin dynasty and then you are trying to maximize your victory points based on how you manipulate these different elements around the board you only score for the weakest categories though so you have to really balance everything out um it's a it's a puzzle, right? I love puzzles, it's Rainer Canizia, so it's pretty abstract. I never really played Yellow Wing Yangtze. I own it. Sure. I think I have it somewhere still. Mm-hmm. Um it's pretty, it's got Vincent Tutroat artwork artwork. Um so I'm like, why am I looking at this one? It's also very pretty. <laughs> the pieces are even more upgraded, right? Because it's game found. But I don't need this. I have one already. It's pretty and it's relatively hard to find. Like, why would I need a second version of this? And it's not even like um, it's not like a top 100 game for me. This is this. See, you're hearing in real time the problems that we have. <laughs> so I probably won't buy this because again, where would I put it? If I buy this, I need to get rid of Yellow and Yangtze, and it's fine. I like it just fine. Um, so it's Huang though. If you don't have a copy of Yellow and Yangtze or Tigris and Euphrates and you like them or would like to play them, this will be fun game. Found you can check it out.
0: It's surprising because the pedigree here of these games, they should be out everywhere. Right. And just, I guess, by fate, by production, they're not.
1: Right. And this one's also not going to be easy to find because Phalanx games don't just show up on game store shelves. Like yeah. Hannibal and Hamilcar successors, those are also not easy to find, right? Yeah. Um, I think the way to buy these at conventions tend... I think you got them through Ares. They distribute them. Yes. Maybe. Yeah. they And Ares games are not, in general, great distribution either. No. So i don't know
0: it, it might be one of those situations that this gets an upgrade and it does the brass thing maybe where it just blows up because people finally got into their hands and it's you know ever so tweaked right and then it's just like hey this is a great game people are like yeah we've been playing it for like 20 years now at this point right so it's interesting yeah i'm, I'm interested to see it um
1: It intrigued me in the same way that Yellow and Yangtze did to make me buy that game. Um, But I'm mostly telling all of you because it's a good game. Go (laughs) check it out. If it's the type of thing you like, pick it up. Because I probably won't buy it because I already have one. But it's cool that it exists. I'm glad they're doing it.
0: Yeah, speaking of which, I got to play ever so briefly a game on Tabletop Simulator, which typically is not our go-to platform. This is Frostpunk, the board game. Oh, god. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a couple of funny elements to it. First off, this game is gigantic. So it's almost like necessary to play this as an online version just because it eats up your entire table and then several other tables and then like an ottoman or something. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> but this game was created by the people who created This War of Mine. And that's phenomenal video game, amazing board game. And... This is a strategy survival city builder game. So take that kind of post-apocalyptic kind of world and throw the challenges and dangers of snow mm-hmm. onto it. Now, again, I haven't seen snow in forever. So, you know, at this point, I don't know. Does it still real?
1: I know. A lot of you are listening right now. I'm like, what? What? We live in the, uh, the Northeast. Of America. Of, yeah. So, but below New England. And we have not had snow yet this year at all
0: so yeah we remember snow if you have any snow and if you want to send it to us we'll you know put it in an envelope and mail it to us and we'll, yeah
1: you know. if you're north of us i imagine you have way too much snow.
0: <laughs> we'll so. take your snow yeah. we're happy to take your snow so uh in Frostpunk, punk the board game up to four players will take on roles of leaders of this small colony of survivors and again post apocalyptic you get hit by an ice age and your whole job here is to manage the infrastructure and deal with the people and how they're kind of suffering through this the challenges here so it's a cooperative game but each of you have specific roles and information that's for you and you alone and how you kind of play that out in order for the people to survive so there's a lot of different paths to take and a lot of different rules that you could put into place a lot of leadership and political machinations throughout so you and again a lot of different ways to survive and win you could be an inspiring leader you could kind of be like a despot and kind of push people or utilize technology and again it's all about managing society so the world itself this ice age itself and this post-apocalyptic era is about you surviving the game the board game itself is gorgeous it's got this wonderful tower it you you're able to explore the snow so different elements of the area become available to you as the game goes on, but there's challenges. So as you go further and further out, it becomes more and more dangerous. So this is one of those games that in, in a non-pandemic world, yeah, <laughs> I'd be like, hey, post-apocalyptic stuff, that's fun to think about. <laughs> but not so much as these days. But nonetheless, uh, Tremendous Game, if you're interested in a co-op survival, I guess somewhat horror game, as far as that genre is concerned, uh, seems to have a lot of the great elements of, you know, all those kind of zombie horror survival games, crossroad systems, but a solid economic Euro game.
1: Yeah, it looks interesting. I'm, I mean, I'm the same boatworms. The theme is not doing it for me. Like, I don't even, I don't, even pre-pandemic, I didn't love Dead of Winter. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm good. Um, but it sounds cool. Yeah. Mechanically speaking.
0: All right, so that's all the games that we want at the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table. Will everyone know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up? If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and they should avoid them. Or if those games are, I don't know, not the Dread Bird, but the Dread Freeze. I guess we're, we're doing a freeze <laughs> thing this week. The yeah. Dread Freeze, and you should stick it in your freezer and never play it again because it can't hurt you if it's frozen. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you freeze a board game? I guess you can. Uh,
1: keep that. Soak it in water, maybe? Oh, no. That, that would be bad for you. game. <laughs> don't do that.
0: No, don't do that at all.
1: Um, all right, cool. So I'm going to kick in. Uh, I've got a sequel. I mentioned this. Uh, Tragedy Looper, New Tragedies. So this is it, a interesting version of a sequel. So what this is, is Tragedy Looper came out, when did that come out? Like
0: 2014? We were at Gen Con forever ago.
1: Yeah, it was a long time ago. It was almost 10 years ago. It came out here in the U.S. What we
0: could do is we could loop back and, yeah. and see what happened if you want to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's look back in time. Um, so the original version of this is from Japan. It's designed by Baka Fire. And Z-Man Games brought it over almost 10 years ago, right? And it was a bit of a sensation because it was so unique and different. Um, this is a game in which you have a mastermind who is trying to make these tragedies come about sure. for these various characters. Everybody else plays protagonists who are trying to figure out what those, what's going on. So they have to figure out how to stop the tragedy from happening. And at the same time, stop the mastermind from manipulating things in a way to make the tragedy happen, right? So it's a deduction game where one person has all the information and the rest of them don't. Um, and you know they have the information, so you kind of have to solve it. And so what happens is you go through the time loop and you do whatever, take all your actions and you try to figure out what's going on. And then at a certain point you will fail. Um, That failure could be the result of someone dying. It could be the result of um, the, some other fail condition uh, based on the script that's being played. But the mastermind will just tell you y'all, y'all failed. (laughs) Right. Usually don't know why. Uh, If you die, they have to tell you that you died, but otherwise you just lost. And so you really have to pay close attention. It's not a game where you just go through and take your actions and then try to think about it later. You have to pay attention as you play because each thing you're doing could influence the game situation and result in a loss, right? So use your deductive skills. Um, Now, there are rules to this. The mastermind can't do whatever the heck they want, right? There are, you know, there's a certain order in which things need to happen. There's like a nine-step turn summary where you have like start of day, end of day, You have um, the mastermind will play their cards first. They play three cards to these different locations. The board is very simple. Like, I know this is sounding very complex, but once you get the rules down, it's not really that complex. It's more just, like, memorizing the timing of the game, I think, is the most complex part. Um, I would almost liken it more to, like, playing an RPG, where the dungeon master has to do a lot of work, and they have to keep a lot of rules in their head. Everybody else playing the game just has to go with the flow, right? If you're not the mastermind, this game is fairly straightforward. Um, You'll have your cards, you'll play them, you try to figure out what roles each character is, and you try to unravel the loop. That's basically it, right? And there are multiple scenarios, right? So there's different scripts that the game will come with that will allow you to kind of work through and solve different things, right? Different characters will have different special secret roles, and the mastermind will be trying to accomplish different things. But at the end of the day, there's just the four locations on the map, whatever number of characters are in that game, and whatever number of protagonists are trying to solve the, the puzzle. Um, so that's Tragedy Looper, right? The main thing that this game struggled with was the rules were very difficult, right? It was like a 50-page rulebook, and somebody has to learn those rules and then run the mastermind and teach everybody else how to play. And it is hard. There's a big barrier to entry. Um, we did it, (laughs) we got through it, we mostly enjoyed it, um, but it's not a game that came back to the table too much because of that barrier, because if you don't get the same people back pretty quickly, you're just, you're starting all over. So Tragedy Looper New Tragedies is coming out soon. It's not out yet, but it's coming out here in the next month or so, um, from WizKids. So this is the same designers, it's Baka Fire, but it's new content, Right. I think there's one overlapping script and it's just the first one, like the, the what is it, beginner tragedy or first tragedies. And that's like to walk you through and teach you the game effectively. But the other 13 scripts are new. And what this is, is Bakafire kept creating new content for this game in Japan, but only two expansions came to the US. So there's a lot of scripts and there's a lot of material that never made it over here um, because Z-Man stopped publishing content for the game. So WizKids is kind of packaging that all together. And so you get 13 scripts. There's 30 characters. Um, you usually play with only a handful of characters, like five, six, seven in a game. So 30 is a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah so you have a lot to work with there. Um, and the rulebook on first glance, well, I mean, I mean, I read it. I learned the game, played the game. <laughs> it seems a lot better, I will say. So like this rulebook versus the, the one that came with the first edition of the game was 44 pages. This one is 15. Ooh. Yeah. That's better. It's bigger, like physically, but not much. And it's just more streamlined. like Like I read through this once. And again, having not played this game in eight years, nine years, I was like, oh, I think I get it. I did not get it when I read that other rule book. No, that
0: was, yeah.
1: I read it two or three times. I watched videos. And even then, when we were playing it, it was just like, are we doing this right? I have no idea. So rule book is better. It also comes with a mastermind book, which did exist before, um, but this one, again, it's better written, that gives you a guide as the mastermind of how to go through that first game. Um, like, here's what to tell the players. Here's how to manage it. It's like a DM book, right? It's like if you bought the Dungeon Master's Guide for D&D and you're walking through and it tells you, like, here's what you want to tell the characters. Here's how you prep them. Here's how you build out the world. It tells you how to do that. It even gives you tips on how to role play it to like facilitate this, like you are trying to solve this murder and here's what's going on. And here's all these people. And the mastermind is trying to stop you by doing X, Y, Z. Um, it's just fundamentally better on like all those things, <laughs> right? Uh, so Tragedy Looper, New Tragedies, it's not a new game. This is why it's like a, a tricky sequel. It's a standalone, right? It, but if you have the original version of the game and you like it, this is almost entirely new content. So there's no reason not to pick it up right if you know you like the game and you've played it awesome grab this one if you've never played tragedy looper before and you're interested then this one again is a great way to get into it because the rules are better it's got a starter uh, script that you can walk through the first steps tragedy and it'll get you into the game a lot better than that first edition would um, there's also a whole section in the back, like building your own script. So you have the 13, if you go through all of those somehow, you can make your own and it walks you through step by step on how to do that, which is also pretty cool. And by the time you get through 13, you should know how to play the game well enough to be able to do that. So um, we gave Tragedy Looper a play back when we played it before. Um, I would say even a little bit higher than that, it's not quite a buy for me personally because I'm not a big like deduction slash role playing type of game person. But this is such a clever game and such an interesting mechanic. And I still am just fascinated by it and love how it works. Um, that I'm happy to own it, right? It's very close to a buy for me. Like if I was going to give it a number rating, I'd say an 8. which It's, it's really up there. It's on that line. So I'm going to keep it. I'll have it. And I'm not nearly as intimidated by like having to go back and reread the rules to play it two years from now as I would have been the other version. Which I did eventually get rid of because it just was too dense to get into. So Tragedy Looper, New Tragedies. It's coming from WizKids sometime in the next couple of months. Um, If you like the old game, check it out. Uh, It's new content. If you've never played it, track down a copy. Probably find somebody who's played before to mastermind for you because that's probably the only thing that can make this game a headache is if you buy it yourself and learn it and become the mastermind. (laughs) Like Anthony did. Yeah. It's a big commitment. It's basically you're learning a new RPG. Yes. Right. And if you love that, if you're a role player and you love learning a new RPG and teaching it, check out this game. If you hate that, don't do that. Find (laughs) someone else
0: to do it. Find an Anthony. If you have an Anthony in your life, would you like to have an Anthony in your life? No, no, don't tell me that. (laughs) Anthony's available to Tragedy or Looper. No, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) He... He's not now, but if you go back in time, Ah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Then, then it's a tragedy for Anthony, but you get to loop him in on that again. Yeah,
1: three weeks ago when I was learning this game, looped back to then, and uh-huh. he joined me when we played it. There you go. Um, yeah, so that's Tragedy liver, New Tragedies.
0: Very nice. It, it, it's, it's good to see that the game didn't sink, that they came back and they revised it because the core gameplay was good and the concept was very good.
1: Yeah, it's a brilliant game. Like, I remember a review from back then, it was like, This is brilliant, but, man, it's so impenetrable. It is. It was. And, like, we couldn't give it a buy rating because of that. No. It was. Like, I'm really close to a buy on this now just because of those few tweaks. And they're small tweaks. But, like, as the person who has to learn it, I'm like, this is so much easier to learn. It's true. And, like, looking at the old rule book, it doesn't even look like they've changed much. It's just got to be the wording and the, like, more attention to detail. Better translation. translation. Yeah. Yeah, So.
0: Especially when it's a deduction game where you have to. Pull together the language of the clues if the translation's not spot on then you have then you have problems all day long
1: well it's one of those games where like when they teach you the rules everything is vague because so many things in the script are specific right so they can't be like go here then do this and then do this but you go, well because it's it depends on all these other things sure so you have to word that first part really well because otherwise you're reading it and you're like i don't know what you're talking about
0: well and, and then you have also, to read it three times. And it's also past, present, and future you're dealing with, too. Yeah. yeah. So it's just all the, the terminology and the... It's, yeah. yeah. I will say, though, if you have the old version, they
1: did change a few words. So, like, paranoia is now called unease. There's a few other word changes. Interesting. Um, I don't know why. If it's a, just a better translation or if they're just trying to get away from, like, mental health-related terms. Sure. um, Which is good. That's good. But it's not the rules are then therefore not going to be fully compatible. Like the cards may not be fully compatible between the two, but the rules are the same otherwise. Gotcha. Just in terms changes.
0: All right. We'll talk about games that we once played that have come back around again. Uh, our friend and designer, Rodney Thompson, uh, pretty famous. I mean, way back in the day, actually, in fact, uh, Dave was telling us that he was listening to episode one, Lord's Waterdeep, the, <laughs> the expansion, uh, Sculptons of Skullport. And, Rodney uh, Thompson was one of the designers for Lords of Waterdeep, a game that we played endlessly. Yeah, And I'm sure probably a lot of you did because it was one of the kind of premier worker placement games with like a gorgeous Dungeons and Dragons theming all over it. The production was great. A uh, fantastic game, excellent, essential expansion, as we talked about in episode one. Don't go back and listen to episode one, but we did, we did. We love you, David. Why did you do that? <laughs> well, so coming back with from this kids is Marvel Age of Heroes. So if you know Lords of Waterdeep, you're going to know a lot about this game. So primarily the game is a worker placement game. But this time, obviously everything's Marvel these days. It's Marvel, but it's Marvel from the X-Men universe. We're talking about the X-Team of heroes that have come together to fight the super bads from, you know, all of the X-Men history. I want to say, first off, if you're an X-Men fan, you're going to kind of be blown away by the deep cuts here. There is an endless number of baddies, uh, you know, good guys, heroes, different team-ups, things of that nature... You still do have the primary, I guess, core members that everyone knows about. So if you're not the biggest X-Men fan, don't worry. I'm just like, oh, by the way, there's kind of like weird deep cuts here, which is fantastic for me because that's all I collected. <laughs> so this is, this is the opportunity to utilize a worker placement game using X-Men Heroes. And in particular, what you're going to be given is a duo. So you're going to be given two heroes. You might get Rogue and Gambit. Uh, You might get Cyclops and Jean Grey. And they're going to be your little figures, acrylic figures, that you're going to place on the board to activate different areas and to fight the baddies in the end. What's great about this is that their special powers complement each other and what they are called is evolution cards. So... While, like, Lords of Waterdeep is interesting because you get a lord that scores you, you know, some mystery points at the end of the game, Marvel Age of Heroes does something a little different, which it gives you an opportunity to upgrade your heroes with these evolution cards that give you special abilities throughout the game, and the the abilities are complementary to each other, so you get some asymmetry in the game depending on the card that you play if you do want to go that route. Now, primarily, the basis game kind of breaks down to two phases. There's the Institute phase. So, on your turn, what you're going to do is take one of your pawns, one of your super X Men heroes, and you're going to place them on the Institute action board in order to gain resources. And basically, in the game, there's three resources willpower, mental, and physical. Red, yellow, blue. Yes, red, yellow, blue. So, if you remember anything, Lords of Waterdeep, it wasn't like wizard. Royal Cleric, it was, yeah, it was just cubes. Orange, black, white, purple, yeah. (laughs) But now you're going to get used to the primary colors, Anthony. It's only three instead of four, so it's different. Yes. So basically, you're going to go out there, you're going to get these cubes in order to be at a later phase. Utilize them to slap around a villain and gain victory points and hopefully knock that villain out of the game. So as you go there to get these cubes, as you go there to get the evolution and upload, upload your card, as you're getting new cards, you're also playing cards to the board. So if you remember from Lords of Deep, you're building buildings that other people can use. Same concept here. You have a handful of cards. You go to the certain areas. You activate those areas. You play a permanent card to that board. So now when other players go, they'll be able to utilize that space. So it's it's not cooperative, but it's helpful. And again, the villains are all going to need to be attacked by everyone together. So you're going to score points on your own for doing the most damage possible and some special abilities that you have throughout the game. But everyone needs to do damage. Everyone needs to attack the villain. So these two phase has a lot of interesting action selection spots. Then this is the big part, the mission phase. So during the mission phase, you send your hero to the X-Jet, right? So as the game goes on, you're placing people out. You want to put people over to the X-Jet because that's where you're going to score the vast majority of your points throughout the game. As you line the people up, which is kind of like this lineup to like slap around the villain. So it's like, hey, Apocalypse, we're going to get in a line and hit you one at a time. (laughs) So you get in a line. You look at the villain, the villain has a special card that says all these different accumulation of tokens, or I guess cubes in this case, that are needed in order to damage the villain and, you know, check off that little area. So you'll score different points and abilities such as that. Everyone gets in a line, slaps the villain, eventually the villain gets slapped around so much that the villain gets knocked out of the game, and basically you need to do that for a number of villains at a number of levels so that they all get knocked out of the game. You don't have to knock out all the villains, you gotta work your way up. You gotta like work your way minor up, minor, major, and then final major boss. I don't know, it's... yeah, you gotta get to the final boss. So each villain has up you know higher levels of just like power and aggression as you knock them out.
1: Yeah, it's a like game of death. Bruce Lee said, I'm gonna attack.
0: That's true, very, very true. So that's primarily it. It's Lords of Waterdeep with X Men. Pretty much. And at the end, instead of just collecting resources and fulfilling mission cards, you get to slap around a good number of villains.
1: There's so many villains in this box.
0: I know. <laughs> like,
1: we originally played this at PAX, so we play whatever villains they put out. And then when we got the copy in and punching it, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> the box is really heavy. It's like a seven, eight pound box. Sure. Cardboard. It's worth it, a lot. In and there. acrylic and acrylic yeah, yeah there's a cool punchy acrylic
0: i know that's so weird. we've never seen that before
1: um but there's so many villains and like some of them i had not i mean i don't know the x-men as well as you so you probably know all of them i know all like, of them yep but like i watched the 90s show i know a lot Aww. I, I play marvel <laughs> snap i know new ones now um but there's some deep cuts in there
0: there's some sure. super deep cuts in there i was i was surprised playing the game i was like how many Cards, I was like, this is like a background, 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 background character of a background character. Yeah, yeah. So So,
1: it's funny though, like, it is definitely Lords of Waterdeep. And you know, when we found out it's one of the designers of Waterdeep, I'm like, yeah, of course. What it feels like is here's the X Men license, give us a Waterdeep style game, but update it for
0: 2023.
1: Yes. Right? Use some of what we've learned over the last 10 years in game design to make the game a little more interesting, a little more dynamic, a little more replayable in different ways than the Waterdeep sure. is. And that's exactly what you get here,
0: um, which is great. And it's got a very 90s aesthetic.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is definitely like ninety. Other than the weird watercolor art style. It's... Yeah,
0: which is hit and miss. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's
1: Yeah, there's some miss. really amazing art in here, and then also some really washed out weird <laughs> stuff. Sure. like to the point when we played it at PAX, I think you said to me, it's like, is this final art? Yeah. And I was like, I think this is the final copy of the game. Sure. And it is, because we got it in. It looks the yeah, same.
0: Yeah, and again, it's, it's so weird, because I guess, obviously, time and effort for the artists. Like, some pieces are just gorgeous. Yeah. And then some pieces are like, I ran out of time.
1: Yeah, it's, it's strange. It's all consistent in terms of art
0: direction. Yes,
1: Maybe not quality. And it's not bad. It doesn't look bad at all. It's just different. It's not <laughs> what you'd expect from a comic book board game.
0: Yeah, and the graphic design is very sharp, but it is very bright and poppy. 90s. Yes, very 90s. I'm all for that. I, I love it because that's really all
1: I know about the X-Men is yeah. the
0: 90s. So I, I love Lords of Waterdeep. It's definitely one of those kind of gateway games for gamers. Not for regular people who've never played games, but for gamers. Yeah. This is kind of fun because Lords of Waterdeep is a very specific IP. And you're not going to get your average person like, hey, it's Dungeons and Dragons. They're like, uh, uh, oh, okay. It's like Marvel's, you know, Marvel X-Men? Oh, I know who those people are. And
1: Yeah, and the, the thing about the D&D IP is like, even if you play a lot of D&D, you may not know the IP. No. Because you maybe don't play those adventures. And sure. Waterdeep at this point is, is that even something we're playing regularly in fifth edition? You know, like people build their own adventures there's so many source books. Like that's a very specific location from a very specific set of adventures. Um this is X-Men. Everybody knows X-Men.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, sh- can I say, sequel? Oh. Oh, I did another thing. I, see? Think, I think I would call this same designer. So, yeah, let's call it a sequel. Yeah. And it's different enough. It's not It's not a copy and paste kind of situation. It's not just Lords of Waterdeep with X-Men thrown on it. It does have those evolution cards. It does have the baddies at the end that you need to hit around. Mm-hmm. But it does have a lot of the same core elements as far as collecting the cubes, spending the cubes, getting the victory points. I'm a big fan of Lords of War Deep. I am a huge fan of X-Men. This game hits a buy for me just because wow, nice. it is both the things that I love. Uh if you are not a Lords of War Deep fan, if you are not an X-Men fan, then it's probably a play. Uh, I would definitely recommend playing it because I think that there's a lot of ways to play your characters that are is kind of fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, I so the thing with this game like we played it I think it runs a little long. It does. Like Waterdeep. Yes. It has the, that's one problem he hasn't really been able to solve here. Yeah. Um, the box is 60 to 90 minutes, and I think that's crazy. I yeah. think it's a two to two and a half hour game, which is a little long for what it is. That's not bad. I still love Waterdeep, but it does play long. Um, it's a play for me. Yeah. For that reason. Like, I still like Waterdeep better, and that might be an IP thing because I don't know a lot of these. I love the 90s X-Men, too. It's just... <laughs> you get into anything deeper than that core team and like the three or four bad guys that made up the major arcs. And I'm like, I don't know who this is. I don't know who this is. I don't know who this is. Um, and I think I'll stick with Waterdeep, but that's not an indictment of this game. It's saying that like these mechanics are amazing. This is the version I prefer. Yeah. Uh, I would still play this. If someone's like, You want to play it of Heroes? I'm like, Yeah, of course. It's great.
0: Yeah, I mean what a the graphic design is a lot sharper and simpler. Sure. And when you have to visualize the board, it's a lot easier to know what's happening. This does have so much like artistic aesthetic, just it's it's everywhere. It is a little hard to focus. It takes and, a while to wrap your head around the board, you yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of like effort to theme the game and every card here. So it's almost like this is a thing, it's a thing, it's a thing. It's like, no, it's just get red cubes. Yeah. So it's just like, but again, for the, I guess, Venn diagram of X Men fans yeah. and Lord, Lords of Waterdeep fans, uh, this fits perfectly. And I, I can imagine there'll, there'll be eventual sequels and other expansions in oh, this expansions. universe. Expansions, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. All right. So that's all the games that hit our table this week. Now on to our feature review. So our feature review this week is the best board game sequels. Don't call it a comeback. It's been here all year. Anthony, (laughs) what do you got for us? Yeah, so we got a list of board game sequels
1: here. Again, these are games that are taking the original mechanics of a game, a well-known game, a successful game, Mm -hmm. and tweaking them around and re-implementing them in a new way. So the theme may or may not have changed. I think most of these the theme is. Roughly the same, but not always. Um, but mechanically, something is different. It's a different game with a lot of the same DNA. We're calling it a sequel. So first up on the list, um, we have a couple of games that are just blatantly named sequels. <laughs> Marco Polo 2, right? Yes. So Voyages of Marco Polo, Simone Luciani, and Dano Tashini. Brilliant game. One of my top 10 games of all time. One of my top 10 played games of all time. Marco Polo 2 came out and kind of just flew under the radar and then fell with a thud because I feel like because that first game was so well-known and because people said, like, well, you're going to tweak it a little bit. But there's significant changes to the rules here, right?
0: It's Honestly, it's pretty bananas. I mean, I remember playing Marco Polo, and you get to the table, and it really comes down, you know, not adding the expansions in it, it really comes down to mission completion, recipe completion, and or movement. Yeah. And when you play the game, you're like, you have to it's difficult to balance both of those, but I think in the end, it is that recipe completion that's necessary to win the game. The movements is helpful and you could argue essential, although it's challenging. And then like we played it, and you play and you're like, wow, both of these elements are good, right? It's like chocolate and peanut butter. If only you can move more. <laughs> you could do the movement. And that was the game instead of like, you know, just completing contracts, the whole game. And they did it. They made a game where, you know, moving on the board is the game. It is essentially the game. There's still the contract completions and stuff, other stuff in the game, but you got to move.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even think that's the reason it didn't do well. I just feel like they didn't message it well. I don't think it got a big push because it came from Z-Man, which is Asmodee, which doesn't
0: it's, it's it's this marketing situation where it's like they're going to gain people or eyes or purchases based upon the name and the IP that people yeah. have come to love. But also the problem is because it's so similar, I guarantee you a lot of people are like, I already own this game. Yeah, exactly. So why am I purchasing this a second time? You really have to play a lot of Marco Polo to go, I understand the difference between the two games. Sure. I own both of those games because I like both elements so much.
1: Yeah, I own both games because I love both elements so much. Uh, ditto. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Next up is another direct sequel in TK Two uh, from Matt Gertz. Uh, I've never actually played NTK. TK. Oh, this, really? The, the original. Okay. TK Two is one of my favorite games, though. Sure. Uh, so this game, by all accounts, it streamlines everything to a significant significant degree. And the reason I like this game so much is you can play with six people. Turns take about. 12 seconds and the game just flows, <laughs> right? Occasionally you get one person who thinks too much, but I'm like you have two options, pick one and do it. <laughs> Plan your stuff out, pick it's binary, right? Um cuz you're moving around a rondel. Uh It's Meceritz does this a lot. He has a lot of sequel games. Sure. He's taken a lot of his games and iterated on them. We played one at uh Pax with the Transatlantic sequel cross which doesn't make this list because we didn't necessarily like that game very nope. much, but that's what he does. He does iterate on his games. He a lot. does. This is, I think one of his more successful iterations. Yes. We could also throw Imperial 20, was it 2045? 2040.
0: 2040
1: in there. Yeah. But the original is also very good. And it actually, is. that's, that's one of those ones where I don't know if the game improves from it, but, um, and TK2, I think it's the better version of those. And it is actually one of my favorite games.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's certainly an upgrade. And, and I think, it's 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 surpassed the first version yeah absolutely
1: um next up is caverna uh we could probably put any of uve rosenberg's farming games on here (laughs) after agricola because they're all iterations on that original formula yeah but
0: this is the closest this is the closest yeah yeah
1: this is basically agricola
0: with way more points yes your people probably won't starve. yeah
1: this is taking off the shackles and letting you just do fun stuff yes and not worrying about the tight little puzzle that is Agricola.
0: Yeah, Agricola is you have to do a little bit of everything, otherwise you're going to get have a bad day. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Where Caverna, you want to do every a little bit of everything, but you can specialize. Yeah, just minds. Yeah, you could just do one thing, and you could just go to town on that. Donkeys. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> Which again, just like Marco Polo, is again, it's it's an insane wondrous thing that Uwe's done to go. I've heard you. The game, you know, he loves Agricola, but he can give you another another spin on it. Yeah. And he could just double down on the stuff that you really want to do because the thing about Agricola, which is great and terrible at the same time, is by the time your engine gets going, game is over. Yeah. Where Caverna, you do get to run the engine.
1: Oh, like halfway through the game, it builds. Yeah. it's I've never had such a stark difference between the first and second game. I don't like Agricola because I do want to run the engine and it doesn't come together until late game right caverna you got that engine up and running like round six <laughs> and there's like 10 more rounds <laughs> You're like just keep doing stuff send your dwarves out on adventures the expansions and all this it's a great game um next on the list we have dungeon pets Ooh. so dungeon lords was the first one from yes. it is a very good game but it's a very tough teach it's very long sure it's very convoluted right mm. dungeon pets streamlines a lot of that it makes it cute it does. It's a little more accessible. The rules are a little bit simpler. Um, there's some expansion content for this as well. And I wish they would do more to promote this game because I think it's so fun. If you move around and take care of your pets and pick up their little poos. <laughs>
0: it's cute. Yeah, lords and pets, same universe, same creatures kind of working those catacombs, and but different games. Yeah. Right? So similar kind of mechanics where one, the lords is you know, heroes are coming to stop and stomp your, you know, your underground cavern and you're doing everything you can to stop them and throwing the heroes at other people. And then the pets is all about raising those pets and, you know, sharing them with different weird kind of families, I guess, out there. But again, it's an IP benefit and IP loss because it's like, hey, I love that version. This is similar. But different but because yeah. it's the same thing with the dungeon lords you're like oh this is just an expansion oh yeah so i i've played both of these i have not played both of these enough i, I honestly like both of them so much i
1: i yeah i don't know it's hard for me lords is a play pets is a buy it's just oh, okay it lords is too much it's it's tough it's tough to teach it's tough to get played sure um forbidden desert is next up um, so Matt Leacock's Forbidden series There's a new one actually that was recently announced So we're going to force him. But this is the best of the sequels so far
0: Sure, uh, I agree
1: So Forbidden Island was first It's a fairly basic streamlined co-op. Take on the yeah. co-op formula That Leacock popularized Desert takes that and tweaks it And adjusts it and fine tunes it a lot And makes a really strong family co-op game
0: Yeah, it's all about Digging in the desert
1: um next up we have king of new york this is the sequel to king of tokyo so king of tokyo is one of the best games of all time It's a top 100 game for both of us um, king of new york is that type of sequel that takes the core mechanics and adds to it it makes it more complex and this generally doesn't work right we've seen this fail over and over again just in terms of commercial success But when this came out, I remember both of us played it and we're like, this is better. This is better. It's a better better. game. This is more fun. It's more to do, but it's more gamery. Yes. King of Tokyo is still much more accepted. My kids love King of Tokyo. We played King of New York once and they were like, "Eh, can we play King of Tokyo?
0: Yeah. I mean, thematically, King of New York is a hundred times better because it's just not the monsters kind of like not existing in a context. Yeah. So here you have New York City and the monsters are moving around and based upon where they move things happen and also there's the army that's like yeah. not happy at all that you're there right and that element comes into play and if you've ever watched any kind of big monster godzilla transformer movie you know that that's part of the game it is certainly absolutely positively my preferred version of it and i never see it played anywhere no, not anywhere no um and they,
1: they just released a co-op version of this as well like king of forbidden island or something um monster island monster Island, right it's forbidden for you but you know right, I, yeah. not for the monsters <laughs> it's forbidden because there's a giant cube volcano <laughs> dice volcano in the middle that's so noisy i can't play it at night it wakes up <laughs> um, all right so next up we have terraforming mars Ares expedition yes we've talked about this at length um as a streamlined quicker prettier better artwork version of terraforming mars imagine
0: you, you ever say those words in a sentence about terraforming mars
1: i know it's crazy um to the point where they have the dice version coming out this year and it's back to the ugly art. And I don't
0: know why they what did that. What are you that. doing? Well, they only got one wish from the genie and that was I it.
1: They're like, we didn't make enough of Ares Expedition. We're going back to the ugly art.
0: <laughs> this is my preferred version. I know it's blasphemy. I get it. I hear it. I appreciate you continuing to listen. <laughs> this is my preferred version of Terraforming Mars. I mean, again, we recently played the super deluxe plat- additional plastic version i still love terraforming mars it's yep. my my top 100 just Ares expedition is higher I, I think the race for the galaxy mechanic here works really well and again terraforming mars for everything that's brilliant like you mentioned earlier before it can run forever in, in some cases
1: oh yeah yeah no that and that's the thing i think it fixes this the most is it's streamlined it's accessible
0: and again i think i've heard a lot of people because of like the venus expansion for terraforming mars a lot of people think the aries expedition almost sounds like expansion yeah it does. so a lot of people were like oh i already have that expansion i have all the expansions i'm like no it's a standalone game and they're like yeah they really did not do themselves any favors by naming that as such but again it's terraforming mars but a different version of it yeah which is great and a very good one um Next up
1: is Battle of Five Armies. Ooh. So this is the, it's actually a prequel. So <laughs> <laughs> we're messing with the list here. Um, this is the follow-up to War of the Ring. It's right? a prequel, but it's a sequel. It's a, yeah, pre, it's a pre-sequel. It's a pre-sequel. It's a prequel. It's a prequel. So this takes the War of the Ring basic ideas, right? You have the, the card-based combat. You have dudes on a map. You Just everything about War of the Ring. And it tweaks it to focus on the Battle of Five Armies from The Hobbit. Um it is a little bit shorter. Sure. It's not as much shorter as they claim it is, and some people would claim it is. <laughs> I would say War of the Ring takes two to three hours a little longer if you're new. This takes ninety to two and a half hours a little longer if you're new. It saves, it saves like thirty minutes to an hour off, which it, is a lot, but not a lot. The setup it saves time. It does. It's a smaller board, yeah. it's it straightforward. The thing about this game that is unique is it's a little more combat focused yes war of the ring you have that whole obviously you're trying to move the ring so you have the hunt and all that it's like half the game yes that's not here because it's just combat so this takes the combat side of war of the ring and it makes it i'm not going to say a more traditional dudes on a map skirmish game but it's closer to that than war of the ring is
0: and it flips it too right so you know as far as the antagonists in this kind of game where you're trying to like and the other one, you're getting attacked. Here, right. you're kind of forcing back the forces of evil. Right, 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 yeah. So, and again, it's it's shorter, simpler, streamlined. And yet again, maybe partially because of the movies, but I think primarily because there has not been the promotion for this. No. It just has not received the fanfare that it deserves. Right. And again, this should get, like you mentioned earlier about Yellow Yangtze, this should get like a super deluxed, version just like on Kickstarter to market it not
1: not to say that's tired of their stupid collector's editions that sell out in 10 minutes i
0: know it's this is what i'm saying though like and i appreciate that but it's like you got to get the word out about these games especially when they have these sequels because they're they're just going to get consumed by like lack of of knowledge of it
1: yeah yeah this is i i had this since it came out right i got this immediately yeah um pre-ordered it it went out of print for a long time um i played it for a while there, I played it more than War of the Ring because it was out of print, and people would say, oh, I want to play Battle of Five Arms. Oh, sure. you have that. We'll play that. Um, I love this game. I would always play War of the Ring first, but if someone wants to play this, I, won't, I wouldn't bat an eyelash. I do wish that they, like you said, they would bring out a more accessible Kickstarter would be perfect. I don't usually say that, but yeah. it'd be perfect to like bring this back and make it give us all that collector stuff and make it accessible for the rest of us. Absolutely. Um, all right. So we have a few that were mentioned in our listener feedback. Brass Birmingham, which we've talked about a fair bit today already, but <laughs> this is a sequel. It tweaks the rules of Lancashire. Yes. Um, and it obviously is better, at least in terms of general perception, because it's the number one game on Board Game Geek. It's my preferred version by a long shot. I don't play Lancashire. I'm actually going to get rid of my copy of Lancashire, um, it's in my pile, the move. But yeah,
0: Brass Birmingham's great. Yeah. yeah, no, it's by far the superior version over the classic, over the Lancashire, and again, bringing beer into it and opening up random ports right? just really adds so much to the game. Yeah.
1: Um, next up, we have Dominant Species Marine. This was our game of the year for 2021. Uh, this takes Dominant Species, and similar to like some of these other ones, it streamlines it, it makes it more accessible, it works with a smaller player count in ways the original doesn't. It modernizes it. Uh, takes that 25 year old worker placement style that from way back in the day where you're programming actions, it makes it more immediate. Uh, I like this game better in almost every single way. Uh, I'm actually also considering getting rid of the original for this as well.
0: Ditto, I mean, everything you said, I'm 100% on board with that.
1: Um, And then last one on our list is Gaia Project. This is the sequel to Terra Mystica. Um, Terra Mystica is fantasy, this is sci-fi, but it also changes a lot more right? So Gaia Project gives us a modular map. It changes the priest tracks into technology tracks, which are way more interesting. Yes, there's, just... thing,
0: there's things on the tracks now.
1: Yeah. Um, it adds in a solo mode. It's just better balanced all around. So it's everything we wanted from Terra Mystica, but in a different package, which for Terra Mystica fans is annoying, I know, because people prefer, some people prefer the fantasy theme. But Gaia Project is uh, my preferred version of this.
0: It's the better version, but the graphic design and the artwork, and just again, it just does not get table time. It's just,
1: and it, when it came out, it was very they're both very expensive games, but this one is also very just out of the box expensive. And so, asking people who already played Terra Mystic to go buy another $100 game that uses similar mechanics, yes. you're like, that's a tough sell.
0: Well, look, even Capstone, you know, releasing Terra Nova and just supporting terra mystica like almost like hey you're better but we don't care yeah. <laughs> like the, the fans have spoken and again it might just be because of its of terra mystica's success that's so ingrained that even a better version can't get traction all right everyone so that's the best sequels for great games that we love so much hopefully you get a chance an opportunity to get those to the table Please check them out. They are awesome sequels. Don't ignore them. you got good stuff. This stuff is even better in some cases. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all. See you at the table.